Welcome in, everybody, to another edition of Sad Times, where I speak this way for two to three sentences and then never speak this way again until the beginning of my next episode. My name's Kevin. I'm your host. Thanks for joining. For those of you who have never been on, uh, listening to Sad Times, or been on it, I guess, Sad Times is a show uh, where we have a guest on every week where they talk about any number of things, realizations in their life, times that they went through some really shitty stuff, what they took from it. Uh, the goal here is for people to tell stories so that people who are listening at home can feel a little bit less alone and say, hey, wow, I thought I was the only one who thought that, etc." Uh, we have a really cool guest today we're going to get to in just a moment. Before we do, we do need to get to our sponsor. Our sponsor is Stock Characters and Insurance Commercials. Who are we talking about? Well, let's talk about the grandfather who is wearing a veteran's hat and turns and smiles and salutes the hero of the commercial, an amiable and kind woman who's talking about all the ways she is still on that insurance. Or perhaps the neighbors. Look at them at the grill. He minding the burgers, she being pregnant accentuated by the fact that the baby is going to be covered by the insurance. Wait, let's check. Is Grandpa still there? He is, and he's saluting in a hat. Definitely still a veteran, though perhaps with a saluting problem. That's stock characters and insurance commercials. We spell it out for you. All right. Uh, as always, please support our sponsors. Use that code F-A-K-E at checkout. That's F-A-K-E. It'd be great. All right, so let's get to it. We're going to get to our guest. His name is Andy. Andy, how's it going, man? Good. How are you today, man? Uh, I'm doing all right. Just thinking about insurance commercials. Do you? Um, yeah. I watch uh, Cubs baseball on a, you know, on an app of, of the Marquee Sports app, right? And yeah. it it'll just play the same four fucking commercials over and over again. So I have them all mm -hmm. memorized, and there you, you can't fast forward. So that one has been stuck in my brain. The insurance commercial. Uh, well, there, there's your there's your first issue. You're watching Cubs baseball. Watch your fucking mouth, man. I, I, uh, I'm just, I, I went to I went to a Cubs Brewers game recently. Who uh, won? The one that they lost in eleven. By they, I mean the Brewers. Boy, uh, we tried to give is, you that game too. We were up you, six nothing. Yeah, you know what? It was. Uh, I I just well, the problem was I was sitting with Cubs fans. That uh, I I did a woman from Chicago. Her son's a Cubs fan. And and then we sat on the third base side, so I had to be around Cubs fans, and and of course there's the it's at Miller Park, um, and that, it'll mm -hmm. always be known as Miller Park, not American like, oh, Family Insurance or whatever the fuck it whatever. is now. Garbage. Yeah. Also, <laughs> people from Chicago call it Wrigley North, and the problem is when they start yelling "Go Cubs" and mm -hmm. and take over the stadium, mm -hmm. it's defeating. And I don't even give a shit about baseball. I I I could I could care less. I'm not a baseball guy. I don't find. I will say. Since they instituted the, the pitch clock, the game went faster. Oh it yeah, felt, you know, like it, it it mathematically went quicker, and, and it was more watchable. Um, also, the mound visits when they're up there in twenty seconds, and the and ump is coming no, up. The ump like, walks right, up guys. like, "What are you fucking doing, man? Like, what are we doing here? Are we are we are we doing a pitch and change, or are you going to get back to the game? Because yeah. these are two options. The game actually went smoother. So I will say, MLB, you did you did right by that. The issue I have is the fact that Cubs fans, it's like. They're, they're, they live and breathe and die by the 162 games of baseball. And uh, that's it. I, I feel like you should have more into life than, you know, how your team does. And I and I know this, being a Packers fan, I used to be upset every Monday for years yeah. because of what was what was done yeah. uh, up there at Lambeau Field. Well, so Andy. I get it. Oh, go ahead. No, no, that's it. I get it. I get it. And, and the challenge of the difference is 
there's 16 games of football, right? That's 16 bad Mondays. Baseball is 160. That's half your year that you could be down or up based off of a baseball team. And the, the, the problem is, too, with Chicago fans, the problem and the beautiful thing, it's all the same thing. They are diehard. You can have a terrible team year after year, and you're like, yeah, that's my team. Almost any other city, like you go to Tampa Bay, fair weather. They don't give a shit. If the, if they win it, they're in it. If, if they're not winning, they don't care. Chicago fans on the whole love their sports teams. Yeah. And they'll they will they will clinch on to every level of success. Like the Bulls are still one of the greatest dynasties of all time, and they haven't been relevant for 25 years. Right. Well and yet, it, and yet they had a they had a great well, yeah, God played for the Bulls for a while there, and it was fucking amazing. And, uh, you know, Andy, thanks for coming on. Don't ever yeah. speak that way about Cubs fans again. <laughs> Goodbye. No, I'm just kidding. Um, no, I'm a huge fucking Cubs fan. I hear what you're saying. I love the season. It's kind of like yeah. the novel Lonesome Dove, okay? One of my favorite books ever. That book's about 800-some pages, and I wanted it to be about like 1,700 pages. I want the baseball season to be all year long. It is, it is regular. Here's a fun thing about the pitch clock. This year, I believe the average... Time length is like two hours and 33 minutes. In 1976, the average was two hours and 26 minutes, which yeah. is fucking crazy, right? So yeah. it, it, I, I, I was a bit skeptical of it, but I'm with you on that. Um, yeah. Also, fuck the Packers. Okay, so we're having you on here today. You have a book uh, called Words Fucking Matter. Fuck being your second favorite four-letter word we'll get to the first one a little bit later uh fuck is probably my first favorite but uh the book is called words fucking matter we'll have a link for it in in uh the show notes it's retrain your brain to use language that serves you before we get to the book i want to talk to you 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 say very early in the book you refer to yourself as a as a rough and tumble mouthy kid tell us about what you were like as a kid that uh i i have been saying for 30 years now that my mouth uh, writes a lot of checks that my ass eventually has to cash. And, and, and I'm 6'4", 225 pounds right now. I'm a I'm a full-size man. That was not the case growing up. I didn't hit my growth spurt until like sophomore, junior year of high school. So I was all, all in grade school, to Catholic grade school. I was the smallest kid in the class, you know, one or one, you know, the smallest or one of the smallest kids in class. And, and I wasn't athletic. Um, I, uh, music or, you know, all, all the things that like you strive to be good at mm-hmm. growing up, I wasn't those things. However, I could run my mouth and, and I stood up for myself and I talked a lot of shit and that got me into some very precarious situations, um, because I never backed down from a fight. And when we're, you know, when, when fights went from verbal to physical, um, I, you know, I often had no problem throwing the first punch. Uh, I would be lied if I said I threw a lot of the last punches. Yeah. So. Rough and tumble was people would pick on me. I'd run my mouth, physical altercation. I ended up on the bottom of the pile. However, I never turned down a good fight. And and at 39, uh, the truth is, you know, the, the fact still remains. I wrote a book called Words Fucking Matter. I mean, I'm, I'm looking to pick fights, initiate conflict with people because that's where meaningful learning occurs, you know, and that's what's interesting to me. Yeah, and you repeat a lot through the book. I'm going to not say it exactly how you say it, but basically like the only way we're going to learn is if we fuck up and you have to put yourself out there to fuck up. Right. Yeah. And you talk about, you spent uh, 19 years in the military. Is that correct? And uh, so 
you talk very early about the power of service. So talk about kind of take us through a little bit of your military journey and then and then we'll pick it back up once we get and then we'll discuss further once we get to your time in Guantanamo. Yeah, it's I joined the army and my expectation, my, I wanted to join because I thought that's what it meant to be a man. And so I was like, oh, I'm going to join and I'm going to go to war and I'm going to kill somebody. And then then I checked the box of I'm I'm a man. Mm. Um, and then I and then I went to war, uh, went to Iraq and came back home and realized that that, that ain't the answer. Um, the, the idea of war is not the answer. And neither is, you know, the, this idea that going out there and killing somebody makes you uh, a warrior, makes you a man, makes you a good person. There's. There's so, not I didn't say I wouldn't say a good person, but makes you a man, right? This this idea that I was striving for masculinity, and and I didn't find it there in the military. And what I did find in the military, which was interesting, is this notion of selfless service. Um, I thought a leader was someone that yelled and screamed, and people followed them. And it's like no, a, a leader is someone that is empathetic and, and understanding, and and does the thing, right? Is willing to do the thing, and then others follow. And so when I was in basic training. At the end of the um, basic training, there's seven army values, and they look at the whole company, about 180, 200 soldiers, and say, okay, which soldier or exib exib exhibits this? We'll use Exemplifies. The there we go. Exemplifies. That's yeah. the word I wanted. Mm -hmm. uh, Exemplifies. You know, words this. fucking matter, Andy. Words do fucking matter. Uh, <laughs> pronunciation also matters. <laughs> um, exemplifies these army values, and I was chosen by the, the drill sergeants as the selfless service soldier that, that I exemplified that value. And I'm like, oh, I thought in my head, I'm like, oh, I'm just doing the work that nobody else wants. I'm standing up for those that nobody else stands up for, you know? Mm -hmm. So I got that that Catholic upbringing eventually, you know, paid some dues that I'm like, oh, I'm a decent person. And so then moving forward into my military career, I ended up attending a school. I was voluntold to go to the school called Master Resilience Trainer. Yep. And I'm like, it's stupid. It's just, you know, horoscopes and horse shit. And whatever they're gonna tell, they're gonna teach me how to be a better person. Because at that point, I was it was kind of a dick. I was a leader. I was kind of an asshole. And I was, you know, I I was the do it because I told you to, you know, and no firm nor the reason. And I went to this school, and I realized quick, fast, in a hurry that my thinking is what got me into all the good things in my life and got me into all the not so good things in my life. And so that was really the basis for me to be like, okay, I, I need to learn to be a better person. I have to learn about myself. I have to learn how I show up every day, and then I have to look back and reflect to say, okay, did this serve me? So really the three steps to that was self-awareness, mm -hmm. self-regulation, because I grew up always with like this idea of self-control. My mom would always say, you know, you self-control, self-control. I'm like, that's bullshit. Why would I want to control myself? I love myself, right? I, I, I'm, you know, a proponent for everyone is awesome and unique in their own ways. And, and and then the word regulation is different than control because control says, hey, we have to dial you back. Regulate is, no, we have to dial you in. And those are two very different things because sometimes regulation means we got to turn it the fuck up, yeah. right? Sometimes you got to get fucking loud. You got to get aggressive. And other times, right, let's regulate back for the situation. And then the third step is self-reflection. You know, people often say, well, is this going to work out? It's like, well, I don't fucking know. Well, let's run the play and see if it works out. And only in in retrospect can we see, okay, did the way that I handled the situation work out the way um, that was better for me or worse for me, positive or negative? I, I like to avoid the words good and bad for the most part um, because it's lazy, lazy speak. It's, it's, it's really, really easy, right? Another word I eliminate, easy, um, to say good or bad. It's different to say, okay, is this positive or negative for my life? Because you have to go then back at me. Because what might be good for one might be negative for somebody else. 
And, and there's that old adage, like, you know, yeah. things work out the the way they do often, not the way we anticipate them and often it better. Right. So we look at trends, you know, is this better for me or worse for me? And that's more interesting to me than good or bad. Okay. So, you know, and what you're saying, self-awareness, self-regulation, um, self-reflection, it obviously you have to have a healthy, you have to have overcome some sort of fear of failure. Have you ever had a fear of failure? Was that something that oh, kind yeah. of, so how did you, uh, but in order to do those three things that you're talking about, I, I believe you have yeah. to be accepting of failure. You gotta be really good at it. And the way you get really good at something is by getting in the reps. And that's it. Someone uh, someone from uh, my life recently reached out to me a couple weeks ago and just said, hey, how do you get over? Like, Because they, they want to get into business. They're like, I keep writing business plans and I never get to that execution phase. And I was like, well, you, you lean into it. Lean into the failure. And when you fail, fail forward. right? And that's not an original thought by me by any means. There's an opportunity to fail forward. I, I talk about this in the book, right? We make choices. Sometimes those choices work out. Sometimes they don't. And when they don't, you get to make a second choice. Did I learn from this or did I not learn from that? And that is a choice that only you can make. And so you have those two choices. And when you make a choice and it doesn't work out the way you wanted it to, what did you learn from it? And now take that learning and step off again. Mm-hmm. I did a one of my first keynotes I ever did. I was uh, it was 90 ideas in 90 minutes. And so it was 10 speakers, uh, or it was nine speakers. Everyone had 10 ideas. So I had 10 ideas. So I used 10 words uh, because I broke it down Barney style because 10 ideas is a lot of ideas. 10 yeah. words, not so bad. And then I broke it down into the sections of three because three is the, uh, the, the, the everything in my life revolves around three. Anyhow, I talked about the hustle, the struggle, and the grind of life. And the hustle is endure the hustle. That's when you're climbing up the mountain. Yep. Em- embrace the struggle, which is a, a play on words of embrace the suck which is another military thing because right when you're at the the, the, the cusp of greatness, that's when it, that's when you got to dig in the most, right? So you got to learn to embrace the suck. We do that in the military. So I say embrace the struggle because struggle is real and let's acknowledge that it's a failure. And then finally, enjoy the grind. The grind is that when you're, when you're coming off that peak and going down, what, what, what was it all worth it? And here's the opportunity when you choose to endure uh, the hustle again, you're already way ahead of where we were before. A lot of people have this notion that um, I'm at rock bottom. Well, no, your rock bottom has more dirt below it than it did before because of all the lessons learned. And I remember one of the first time I did, I did my keynote, I, I said this, and there was this, there was this woman, right mid thirties or so, um, off to my my right, and she looked at me in, in in that moment in time. I'll never forget. She's like, I never thought about it that way. Like in that moment, there was this connection we had, and and and, and that time I said, okay, there's. There is power in the words. There is power in this notion that rock bottom is, is, is you're still farther along than you were before because you failed. And it's like that was one of one, one of those keynotes where I'm like, this is what I want to do the rest of my life. Yeah. This and you talk about you talk about you use the phrase rock bottom in the book when you're at Guantanamo. Yeah. So tell us you you you. you Tell us about what that rock bottom was and kind of what caused it. So kind of what brought you into it and then how you started to come out of it. Well, I caused it, right? I'll say that right off the bat, uh, using utilizing Victor language. I caused it, and and what happened was there was a series of events that I I had direct control over, and ultimately I broke Army standard. I was I was not loyal to a leader. Mm-hmm. Loyalty is not a strength of mine. I talked about those seven um, uh, values that the Army has. You know, selfless service is me. Loyalty, no, I, I'm not loyal. But uh, you wouldn't call people. you wouldn't say that loyalty is one of your weaknesses, though, would you? No, 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 because we don't have weaknesses. That's we right. Read about that, in the book, yeah. right? We have strengths, and we have things that aren't strengths. 
Uh, so loyalty is not a priority to me because it's just no different than people that are like that stay married forever to someone that treats them like shit. It's like, no, you got to choose your spouse every day. And if your spouse doesn't choose you, well, let's, let's, let's get God and government out of this relationship and move along our business. Right. Mm -hmm. Anyway. So in the military, I was not loyal to a leader. Um, and, and I told a subordinate that said leader, uh, didn't know how to do her fucking job. And, and so there was an investigation on me for one thing. I, I was accused of being sexist and racist. Turns out I was an asshole and it was equal to everybody. However, during the investigation, it came out that I was not loyal to my first sergeant. And then when I was questioned, I was like, yeah, no, she doesn't know how to do her fucking job. And I, and I made that very clear that I, I, I refused to follow her more or less. Uh, and that's a no-go in the military. And then I got, I got removed from my, I got demoted, removed from my, my platoon. I was a platoon sergeant and now I was a squad leader in another platoon. And I was a squad leader of, of none. I was in a squad by myself, which is not military protocol whatsoever. And then soldiers saw that I stood up for myself and, and they started coming to me. So then I took that information from all those soldiers and myself. And I went to IG, which is the inspector general. That's like, the internal auditing system of the army. That's the, hey, go here and tell us what's what's going on and we'll fix it. Kind of a whistleblower uh, safe space, if you will. Um, and well, systems are only, are only as good as the people that run the systems. So I, I sent an email on a Sunday and on Wednesday, I was removed from my company. Um, wow. And, 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 and uh, that's typically not how it goes, right? So it's like, I thought it was bad and no, it's got, it, it, it got worse for me. And so this is what's going on in the foreground. This is what this is what I'm in somewhat control of. In the background, I'm a thousand miles away from my uh, more or less estranged wife. She decided when I was uh, away at training in the army that she was going to move across state lines and take my daughter, and I didn't stand up for myself or my daughter and stop that from happening. So that happened. So now it's like I, I'm not. How old was really your daughter honest. at the time? Oh, not not even a year. She okay. was she was born in May, and I deployed in uh, October. Mm -hmm. So, so I was I was no I I put so much stock into titles at that time, you know. So it's like, well, I was no longer a father because my daughter was not there. I was no longer a husband. Uh, I I was unemployed because I quit my job before I deployed, and I was all in on this. You know, I'm going to be a fucking leader in the army soldier thing, and and now they're like, yeah, no, you're not, and the way you're doing it isn't consistent with the way that we want you to do it. Um, so we're going to not only kick you out of your platoon, we're going to kick you out of your company. And then the the company I got assigned to, to no fault of their own, is like, yeah, fuck you. We got no loyalty to you. We got you for the next, you know, three or four months, and we're going to use and abuse, you know, your your skill set and your rank. Um, and then I even got, I I even caused problems there because I spoke up for myself again, right? Like, there's a theme here. Andy runs his mouth. That's a theme. And sometimes it gets him to great spots, like being here on the Sad Times podcast, and other times it got me into not so great spots. Mm -hmm. And then what ended up happening was I waited through all this shit, and all the soldiers that came to me, they saw me. There were soldiers when I um when I stood in front of my formation and more or less like say, hey, you know, it's been an honor serving you, da da da. I had like people watching me to make sure I didn't say the wrong thing, right? And there were soldiers in my formation that were crying because. I, I was their guy. I was the, I was, you know, and they, they saw that it was some bullshit and it's like, I stepped off. I kept my head held high and I didn't stop doing what I was doing. I kept running my fucking mouth and it kept getting me in trouble in the army. And then finally I get off, you know, get through the deployment. And uh, at the end of the deployment, the first sergeant and the commander both got relieved and I got promoted. So it's like, well, 
Okay. Right. I learned to fail and I continue to fail and I continue to fail forward. And I was consistent with what I did. I was consistent in bringing up what I thought were, or not even what I thought were, I was consistent with bringing up situations that were against military doctrine. I, I, I brought up things that were morally, ethically, you know, uh, inconsistent with what the military uh, preaches. And, 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 and it worked out. I had to fail a whole bunch for the system to, 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 to work out. Like I was also up for reenlistment after this. I had about 11 years in the army and I could have got out at that point. You reenlisted though, right? I did because although the system sucked and did not work, it eventually worked. When we came back from deployment and there was an investigation done, it was like, Oh, hold on. We did have some failures here. These leaders were not consistent with military doctrine. Yeah. They got to go somewhere else. So you talk about fail forward. I I want to ask you about that because uh, I think where a lot of people get stuck, myself included, right, is yes, you fail, you learn from failure. It is our greatest teacher, but people get real down. And you say earlier, or excuse me, later in the book, uh, you said wallowing in perceived failure. So mm-hmm. how do you keep yourself going as you're failing, as you say, failing forward? I mean, you had to have times, uh, you also talk about doubt. That's more when you're talking about starting a business. But like, did you have what they call dark nights of the soul where it's like, maybe I'm fucking doing this all wrong. And like, how did you, with your way that you are now using language, how would you use that to help your, your cause? I, I, I had, those, I had those thoughts yesterday. Yeah. I, I have those. You know, there, there is this imposter syndrome. Like, Oh man, I'm out here faking the funk. Like they're, they're going to find me out. Right. There's this self doubt. Yeah. There, there are day. I own a business. I, I own a junk removal company. That's my, that's my discipline. I got about 15 employees, um, uh, you know, we did about $2 million in revenue last year. We're on track to do about the same this year. You know, we got, uh, you know, 20,000 square foot warehouse. I got 12 trucks. Like I got all those things. And there are days where I'm like, fuck, <sighs> what would it like to be to have a job? What, what is it worth all the stress? Is it worth the, you know, um, the, the, the struggle that I'm going through. Mm-hmm. And then I think, okay, well, let's look at the alternative. What is the alternative, right? Let's, instead of sitting here worrying Instead of having doubt, well, what's what's the alternative? Well, I'd have to wake up every day. I'd have to put on somebody else's uniform. I'd have to think a certain way. I'd have to act this way. And it's like, yeah, fuck that, right? <laughs> right. So it's like, yeah, no, the alternative sucks. So right, I have to make money. I have to make a living. I right, or I get to not have to. Right? I get to own a business. I get to make money. I get to pay bills. I get to pay taxes. Right. I get to do all these things because I live in this amazing place called America, where I have the freedom to do those things. So it's like, okay let's use um, information to quell the doubts, right? And then I make- I, Let's I call use information to quell the doubts. I like that. Absolutely, yeah. right? So what I call it is the triple D, right? It's the data-driven decisions. Often what people will do is they'll make a decision and then they'll find data to back it up, um, i.e. every religious or political argument there is, right? It's like, this is what I feel. And this is the quote in the Bible that, absolutely articulates my feelings and thoughts on this one matter. It's like, well, no, how about go collect a bunch of data from a bunch of sources and then see what the data tells you and then make a decision. And that's where people often fail. So it's like, here, I'm spiraling. I'm I'm thinking twice about um, running a business, right? Well, it's like, oh, let me go collect some data. Well, it's like, okay, I've been in business for seven years. Most businesses don't make it past five. Um, we're, we're successful. We have money in the bank. Okay. Uh, the, you know, for the most part, the employees are happy. They show up to work. We we have 700 reviews uh, with a five-star rating. 
Um, I'm an industry leader with my podcast. So it's like, oh shit, look at all this data that I have that shows that, yeah, I do have doubt. Yeah. Some days I suck at being a business owner. And I also have all this data that long-term shows, it tells a different story. Right. right? So, and, hu- yeah. so, so humility is, is something I struggle with. Humility um, is my 24th strength on, a, on out of 24. Right. Right. And, and it's, so it's like, it's this weird paradox that I live where I am confident in my approach. And I am also, uh, I have self-doubt. And so humility is like that beautiful place where it's like, oh, let's, let's really think about how I can be a better person. And I struggle with that. So I have to put a lot of effort into that to get what other results, what other people would get results, uh, much simpler. So it's like, okay, now I'm aware of that. What, what do I do about it? Yeah. You say, uh, if you give your mind an inch, it goes a mile. Especially when accentuating the negative, which, hey, buddy, uh, if that's the case, I'm running fucking triathlons 14 times a day. Well, triathlons, (laughs) three things. I'm running Ironman marathons 14 times a day because my mind is going like fucking crazy. But you said a moment ago, I want to call this out. You started to say, I have to this, I have to this, I have to. And you said, stop, I get to. And that brings me to one of my favorite chapters in your book, which is a list of shit words that do not serve. Uh, which yeah. is a, f- and it's, it's called an anti-glossary, which I also yep. love. So the first one that you, you talk about is busy. Tell us, oh, yeah. let me, let me just read a little bit from this. Okay. Please. Busy doesn't take skill. Busy is a state of being, not an action. It's wheel spinning. People take pride in how busy they are, checking emails, updating social media, and so on. We live in a world where you can be busy all the time. Being busy for its own sake doesn't bring about any tangible results. It's a trap. So we're going to get to your favorite four-letter word here in a little bit because you you do a really nice job of contrasting that with the idea Mm -hmm. of being busy. Yep. What what are some other words that you have here in this, the shit words that just do not serve? Well, so so the other thing, so let's go back to get to versus have to. Yeah. Right. That that's that that is regulation, right? Because it, and some some people will give me shit. They'll be like, you're the guy that says words fucking matter, and yet you said this. It's like, yeah, I still use limiting self-language when I'm not using the top of mind, right? When I'm using my fear-based limber about my lower uh lizard brain, right? So I I so uh, so what I was doing there is rephrasing. Yeah. Get to versus have to. Have to is an obligation. Get to is an opportunity, right? So I get to do all these things, and I didn't know where that sense of was going. And I was like, well, why do I get to do all those things? Oh, because the alternative is I live in a country where I don't get to do all those things. Right. Right? And and, and we can think about, right, let, let's imagine what that looks like, right? If I was in Ukraine right now, I, I wouldn't be able to get to run my business. I, I would be serving on the front lines, and, and maybe I would get to live that day, right? So it's like, oh, okay, well, I, I have it pretty good right here. So that's that's later in the book is, you know, when we're thinking about things in the future, are we driving optimism with our language or, or, or are we not? Are we driving pessimism? And optimism is we ha- we get to do things. Pessimism, I have to do things. Isn't it that. interesting? Real fast. You change one Please. word from 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 have to get and then it, yeah. it produces something like perspective, which often 100%. feels like it's so far away. But if you change one one language or excuse me, one word in the language, yeah. your perspective yeah. changes. What, what, what We're talking one degree here. One degree, if you look at all the words I'm using in a paragraph, it's like, well, if I, or not if, right? I was going to say if, when, when, there's another good fucking word because if is a shit word. When I change my language by one degree, it forces the end of the sentence to reconform to a thought of empowerment. So another word, like you talked about, another word that a lot of people use that I I did not grow up with and I find to be uh, appalling or it it, it just, it's a stupid word, is the word sorry. 
And, yeah, and I wanted to ask you about that. Let, let's do it. So here's why. Yeah. Sorry focuses on the past. So let's let's do this. Let's play real-time exercise. You give me a sentence that you often say or right, say, say apologize to me for something. And let me rework that sentence. Okay. Um, I'm sorry that I grew so frustrated when you told me that news. Okay. So sorry I grew frustrated when you cho- when you told me that news. Okay. Hey, thank you for your patience when I was frustrated. So do you still think that there's contrition in that? To find contrition. Uh, well, fuck. I, I mean, I could pull it up. Sorry. In my brain, I'm thinking contrition saying I'm acknowledging that I did something yeah. wrong. Great. You're, 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 you're acknowledging it either way. You're acknowledging, right? The act, your lack of patience, right? Thank you. When, what did you say? When I blew up at you? More well, or less? I just like when I grew frustrated, when you told me that well, information. So either way, you're acknowledging it. You're acknowledging I grew frustrated. Right, because here's here here's how the sentence goes. Otherwise, hey, sorry, I grew frustrated. Right, it won't happen again. Mm-hmm. Or the other person says, no, no, uh, I forgive you. Well, now you don't have to do it ever again. But when you said, hey, thank you for your patience when I did this, now all of a sudden you're 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 thanking them in the moment, and now you're more or less forced to talk about well, what's the future going to look like? And the other person can say, yeah, you know what, you're welcome. It was difficult. I would, I, I, you, you, you also frustrated me. And then I felt myself, myself getting hot. Then you say, okay, well, what do we need to do? Or what do I need to do to ensure that doesn't happen again? Mm -hmm. Because what you're doing is you're giving, you're giving gratitude, right? There's all these, if you, if you read all uh, the, the, the bunch of psychological literature, they talk about how gratitude and the more gratitude you give it, it, it releases the chemicals in your head because you're, you're thankful. It's like, okay, so instead of having this doubt or frustration with yourself, because sorry is like this, hang your head on, sorry I did that, I can't believe I acted that way. No, hey, thanks for your patience. Because you know what? You're a human. I'll I'll give you the grace that you're going to get frustrated at times, and you're going to fuck things up. So now you're more or less asking for grace by saying thank you for your patience. Thank you, right, uh, for, for waiting Right, versus saying, hey, sorry I'm late. Right. You use that a lot in the book. The sorry I'm late. Thank you for late. Be- and you say, oh, because of traffic or blah, 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 blah. Oh, correct. Because, yeah. because now here's the other thing. Okay. Now because of traffic. Because now you could take, now we're talking about victim language versus victor language. So I'll use that example. Right. Hey, sorry I was late. Well, it's like, how sorry are you? You're fucking late. Right. It doesn't change the fact that you're late. So sorry doesn't change the, the what the, the the state of being in the sense that you are you were not where you said you were going to be at a given time. Right. Fine. So someone will say, hey, Sorry, I, or that you know, this is where I use the uh, uh, the you know the comma but. You use comma but earlier in, in, in our talk here. I was going to stop you, but you were or and and I was going to stop you. However, right, you were on a roll, so I didn't stop you. So when we talk about but, for example, someone will say, "Hey, I wanted to be on time, but traffic was really bad." It's like, okay, well, when you say but in that sentence, you're dismissing the whole first part. So it's like, yeah, I wanted to be on time. Okay, well, you just dis- you've now dismissed that. By saying "but traffic was bad," when you flip flop that sentence, you have to you, you now take ownership. Traffic was bad, and I wanted to be on time. And it's like, okay, you wanted to be on time. Traffic's going to be bad. What are you going to do about it moving forward? Because there's nothing you can do about it now. You can thank them for their patience, or they could tell you to fuck off and not be there. And you missed an opportunity because you missed the opportunity by choosing not to leave early by so, choosing to take the route you took. You All said these. All these contributing factors. 
Okay, and I want to go back to sorry because you said you grew up and that wasn't a word that was used. Is oh no, nobody no, apologized or like how how was no. that dealt with? Was it with the thank you, with the gratitude, and what you grew no. up with? No, no, it was a lot of people not acknowledging their feelings in my household. That's how that's how we grew up. We grew yeah. up with deal with it, stop stop doing that. You know, what I mean, it wasn't right. There was that's the other thing. If you look at the shit words that do not serve, I give alternate um, mm-hmm. courses of action. Mm-hmm. That's the goal here. It's not like, um, hey, th- this word is garbage. Never use it again. On to the next point. It's like, well, that doesn't serve, right? It, it, it's it's better to reward and give to, to give positive direction and reward, right, than it is to constantly point out the negative. There, there's study after study that shows that, right? You, you want to change people's behavior, encourage them on what they're doing versus going after what they're not doing or what they're doing that you don't like. So consistently encourage positive behavior. And so when it when it comes down to like a sorry, for example, right? Say, like, hey, thank you for your patience. So it's like, well, let's let's focus on, well, now we're both being patient, right? You I'll give you the grace to get frustrated and I'll I'll be patient because in the future, when I'm frustrated, my expectation to a certain extent is that you show me the same grace. Okay. So and I hear you. Our, our, in our household, we didn't use sorry and there wasn't an alternative. So it was, it was a lot just of move highly, on. It was just a lot move of move on. Yeah. Get the get over it. Oh yeah. Yeah. The, the, the traditional, you know, move on, be tougher, be stronger. Are you from, right? did you grow up in Wisconsin? Yeah. 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 Okay. Cool. Outside, outside of Milwaukee. Okay. Uh, so here's another one that you have in here and the shit words that don't serve you. The phrase it's two words, my truth. Oh yeah. Fuck your truth. Yeah. Tell me what you mean by that. Well, because truth, this this idea that now you take ownership, my truth, you're now taking ownership of facts and the truth. Issue I have with that is it's been prevalent the last few years. When you say my truth, you're you're at that point. Most people are being dismissive of any other fact about a situation. And I there was someone on Facebook recently who uh, argued with me on this, and that's one of my favorite things to do is to argue with people. Uh, about words because it gives me more perspective from others. The, 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 the truth is you have a perspective, my perspective, my opinion. Fine, those are fine. Those are great. From your perspective, which right now, I, if you say my perspective, it's like, okay, well, what are you looking at it from? What lens are you looking at it? Because now I can join you in the military. We call it a fighting position. It used to be called a foxhole, but it was offensive to foxes, apparently. So now we use uh, fighting position. So from my fighting position, this is what I see. And someone else from another fighting position can be looking at the same field and see something different. And that's that's the reality of life, right? Like, okay, w- w- uh, you know, on 4th of July, when the, the the Brewers lost to the Cubs, right, from your perspective, a Cubs fan, that was a good thing. It's a great thing. For, great thing, right? From my <laughs> position, uh, being from Milwaukee and despising the Cubs, it was a bad thing, right? <laughs> yeah. So your truth, right, you say, well, my truth is that, the Cubs winning is is great for everybody. It was like, well, no, fuck your truth, right? From your perspective, yeah, you're a Cubs fan. You're wearing the hat. You're doing the thing. Uh-huh. Got it. So this pro- the problem is with my truth is we've now seen it in these all these political arguments where people are dismissive of other people's perspectives. There is no my truth. You don't own the truth. You don't own facts. And people at this point are are, are so blind and ignorant of the world around them because of my truth. Fuck your truth. Your perspective, fine. Because once you say my perspective, now you're acknowledging that other people have other perspectives. 
You know, and it's interesting because I think if you're, let's say you're having that conversation outside of a podcast, you're at a bar or whatever, you're talking yep. to somebody and they say, well, I'm offended by that. Now, you and I have talked about this a little bit. Tell me about how you respond when somebody, like if you said to me, Kevin, yeah. fuck your truth or fuck the Cubs. And I'm like, yeah. well, I'm offended. What is your response to that? Uh, you have the right to be offended and I have the right not to care. Bill Burr does a bit on this. He's like, all right, you're offended. Okay. And I don't have to care. Right. So Bill Burr does that bit. And I always tell people the same thing. It's really, this is my, this is my perspective. Um, you can be offended. Doesn't mean I'm offensive. Because, so for example, if I, I have the American flag tattooed on my arm, that offends some people. I don't think it's offensive. Other people put a, you know, we just got through June, right? June Pride Month. Some people are offended by the gay pride flag. Are those people being offensive? Not necessarily. They're flying their flag. Other people are offended by that. Doesn't mean they're being offensive. So it's like, you know, and then July comes and it's all about America, right? And now we fly the American flag and some people are offended by that. Anybody can be offended by anything and nobody has to give a shit. But so fine, from your from your funny position, you're offended. Go tell it on a fucking mountain. Do you if ever, nobody's listening, that's a you problem. Do you ever, but when you say, uh, yes, I offended you, I don't have to care. Do you ever struggle where you do worry that you've offended people and you do care? No. You don't. No. Have you ever had that? Sure. If I say, if, if, if uh, or when, not if, when, let me say this. When I say something, I, I say it and I mean it. And now there's times I've said things and it's, bothered people or offended people and then I'll, I'll ask okay well why what what was it and then it's either a miscon miscommunication right it's like well that's not the way i i i perceived what i said right or it's like oh yeah you know what moving forward i'm not going to say it again mm -hmm. okay like like for example the uh the r word we'll use this as a pretty good example right the r word uh is a pretty prevalent word through used in the military for in every variation there of that word. Um, and I used it and I'm prevalent. I, I, I've used it in my life, all my life. Right. And I started dating somebody who has a niece with down syndrome. And she said, that word offends me. That bothers me. I don't like it when you use that word. Sounds good. So I choose not to use it anymore. Yeah. But, right. Because, okay. I, I am now regulating my language, given my audience. Okay. I've admitted I've admitted no fault. I'm not saying I was offensive. She was offended by it, and I choose different moving forward. Is that kind of like so when you say you choose different based on your audience, is that like because you're empathetic to to where they're coming from? Yeah, because 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 it's let's look at a hierarchy. What's more important in this situation? Me using a somewhat derogatory term or me connecting with somebody I'm dating? Yeah. <laughs> Well, that's pretty obvious. It's like, what's more important? It's like, are you willing to die on that hill? You know? Also for me, like, this is nothing to do with language. It's more relationships. Um, being on time to me is not important. Never has. Our, our, our family was not on time. We were the ones that rushed into church, you know, and found whatever spot in the pew, whatever. We were not on time. Uh, my mom and dad are not on-time people. And, mm -hmm. and that's it. So, and, and I'm not an on-time person. Now, the military forced me to be on time. Okay, so I'm not a, generally speaking an on-time person. Uh, the, the woman that I date, she is an on-time person. It's very important to her that she shows up on time. So it's like, all right, I'm not going to go out of my way to show up late. If we want to show up on time, fine, I'll show up on time. 
Now, the flip side, when we do things that are around my life or my family, hell, I was late to my own uh, book launch party because she was, uh, she got up to my warehouse later than expected. When, when you got to the book launch party, did you say, I'm sorry, the traffic was bad? No, absolutely not. Well, I, come I use, on uh, now. That would have been funny. That would have been funny. No, <laughs> no. You know what? I What it is, is I used to, I've used the same line for years. I fucking love this line. It's I always show up when I arrive. I always show up when I arrive. Right? What's what was better? it Woody Allen said? Uh, 90% of, of anything of success is showing up or something like that. Absolutely. Right. And Gandalf in Lord of the Rings, one of his first lines is a wizard always arrives on time. Mm-hmm. Why? Because being late is subjective to the person that is determined, right? Or it could be objective, right? If we both mutually agree to meet at this time and you're not on this time, okay, well, then you're late. Look at us. We're on the podcast, right? Mm-hmm. I, I want to be on this podcast. You and I talked last week. We said 11 o'clock. So at 5 to 11, I had two choices. Do I go downstairs and make another cup of coffee and run the risk of being late? Or do I get on the Zoom? Okay. I fold up my water bottle and I yep. got on the Zoom. Right. So, okay. Another, some shit words. You have can't, won't, and don't. And I want to stop with can't because can't is a word that I use all the time unless I'm feeling fancy and then I say cannot. Yeah, I know. Fucked up, man. But you said something in here that is is very true, and I I have fought this idea a lot. Mm -hmm. But when you say can't, won't, or don't, it is true. Because you're saying, because you're saying, I can't do that. Okay, that is now true. Talk about what you mean by that. So, so, and also to preface it, it says, I can't, won't, don't. So it's not like we don't mm. uh, use the word can't, won't, don't throughout language. We do not begin a sentence. It's kind of like thinking, talking, trying. I am thinking, to, or I am, I am yeah. thinking, mm-hmm. talking, trying. Those are the, we, 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 we eliminate those at the beginning of a sentence. So I can't, won't, or don't. And this is why can't. First off, because Drill Sergeant said so, and Drill Sergeant doesn't fucking lie. Drill Sergeant would remind us when we were physically unable to do things, are you an American or an American't? Because the last four letters of American are I can, right? And that's what a drill sergeant yells at you when you are physically, mentally, emotionally unable to perform the next thing, right? So that's where that, that, that stuck early, early in my military career. Here's why I can't. Because now you've taken away all of your personal responsibility for the thing. So give me an example. Let's play, that, let's play the game again of what is a sentence where you would normally say I can't? I can't figure out how to start an LLC. Sounds good. I can't figure out how to start an LLC. Okay. Do you want a company? Is that yes. accurate to say? Okay. Yes. Who who can? Who can figure out how to start an LLC? Uh, any The internet can point me to in the direction of somebody. Okay. Can you get on the internet today? Yes. Can you type in the words? Uh, I hope so. Okay. And And can the internet deliver the information that is available? Yes. Now, okay. So look. Okay. I say I I've done a lot of reflection over the past, uh, you know, part three of what you said over the past number of years. Why I do this? A lot of this has to come down to my own fear of failure. If I don't do something, then I don't fail. Excuse me. Then I don't fail. So I say I can't. When? Yeah. When you don't do something, then you fail. Right. When and then are more powerful than if and if. You should read um, some Stanislavski. He talks about the magic if that would really drive you nuts. Oh I'm just God. kidding. No, he's an acting Russian acting guy. Theater got to bring <laughs> got to bring up theater, man. Another thing you say that uh you know, is part of my truth. No, I'm just kidding. Uh you yeah. said being nervous is a great 
sign. Yeah, it shows it you a- care. And that is oh, yeah. a really empowering thing to think about because I know a lot of people, obviously myself included, who get very nervous about certain things. It's because yeah. I care. That's a really wonderful way to frame that. So, so I got nervous before this podcast. I get nervous every time I get on stage, right? I got my little fidget spinner thing here. It's not really a fidget spinner. It's a, it's a that looks like tie. a, what is that? So it's I, a, it's a, actually, I got this when I was leaving Iraq. It's a, it's a cable tie thing. So oh. you can tie your cables off. Anyways, I, I have these oh. things. I put them in my pocket or I have them nearby so I can, I can twirl them uh, because what happens with nervousness, right? So let's say nervousness is the zero mark. Let's say that's the default. You're nervous, right? And then on one extreme, you can have anxiety and the other extreme, you can have excitement. Okay, so those are the, the, that is that is going to be our, our three part series here. If mm-hmm. you a three part uh, 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 um, line, right? So it's very linear. Where do you fall on this line? Okay, so Harvard Business Journal did a study in two thousand and one, and they determined that excitement and anxiety—it's the exact same chemical composition that releases in your brain when you anticipate an upcoming upcoming event. The difference is if you anticipate a positive outcome, you get excitement. If you anticipate a negative outcome, you get anxiety. And so for you, even in your LLC endeavor, right? For your failure, be like, you know what? Hold on, positive. I'm going to figure this out. I got this, right? Other people have figured it out. I can do it. I'm a smart person. I'm going to figure it out. The internet has the answers. I am not leaving this desk until I figure out this LLC situation. I will reach out to anybody and everybody. And I am not going to let the fear of failure cripple me from moving forward in this endeavor. How much do you think superstition has to do with what we choose and think? None. You don't think so? No, here's what it is. If if people, if someone came up to me and said, I am a devout, name that religion. Mm -hmm. And somebody else said, I firmly believe in horoscopes and and horoscopes and crystals and tarot cards. Mm -hmm. Say, sounds good. How's that working for you? Oh, it's great. I think I, I read my horoscope every morning. That's my motivation to do something new and different, exciting. Awesome. How is that any different than reading a Bible passage? I don't give a fuck what you call yourself, how you tell it. Does it serve you? My mom loves horoscopes. My mom will be the first one to be like, oh, yeah, I know it's stupid. It's garbage, whatever. But I read my horoscope every morning because that gives me inspiration. And my mom's a Catholic, right? So she's reading. She ain't reading Bible verses first thing in the morning. She reads her horoscope. And that is the motivation she has. So it's not about superstition. It's about self-affirmation. Well, let me let me let me clarify what I mean by superstition. I wasn't really going yeah. the religious route. I'm going to give you an example. Okay. Yesterday, um, mm-hmm. Brent and I recorded another podcast, and we were in his truck, and we were driving, and he was kind enough to put on the Cubs game for me. Cubs were down four to one. This is what yeah. I do, okay? Because I'm superstitious, I just always think they're going to lose, right? So I just like motherfuckers, blah blah this, blah blah that. These they're going to fuck it up, you know. Say all these things, and then they came back, okay? And they tied it. They ended up winning the game. They came back and tied it. I hit Brent very hard in the arm because I was very excited. But my superstition is I tell myself a story. You talk in the book about how the mind can't tell between fact and fiction. I tell myself a story that if I say they're not going to do it, it gives it a better chance of them doing it or it helps me with being let down. So it's like uh, magical thinking. Do you know that term? No. Magical thinking is an OCD thing. It's like you basically think uh, my brain is controlling shit that it's not controlling. Okay, so that's what I mean by superstition is some people say, well, I'm probably not going to do very well, which, again, you kind of get into in the book, too. Then that means you're not going to do very well. But people do that as some sort of either to stop. I'll just speak for myself. I've done that many times to save myself from failure or because I was superstitious that things weren't going to go well. And 
sorry, I was afraid things weren't going to go well, and I was superstitious enough to say, if I say things won't go well, maybe the opposite will happen. It's a really fucking weird, tangled logic that makes no sense. No, no, here, here's the difference, though. Here, here's a way I'll quick discern it. You had no control over the Cubs game whatsoever. None, zero, zilch, nada. So that's pure garbage superstition, right? It, it, there's zero chance. It's not me. I love gambling. I love going to Vegas. I love blackjack. I love craps. If I'm like, oh, that table's hot in my head, I'm like, oh, it's hot table. So, or I'm rolling well. No, there, there, there's no data behind that. I do not control the dice, right? No different than you control the Cubs game. So that is garbage superstition. Let's like right because you have no control over the Cubs. No, no different than I have control over the dice. Okay, so there, there's our superstitious garbage bucket. The other bucket of the oh, I have some level of control. How I show up matters. Then now we're now we're talking a different thing, right? So if you're getting excited, like even before this podcast, you know what? I'm gonna do my research. I'm gonna feel good. I'm gonna take a couple of deep breaths. I'm gonna say, you know, what? I'm gonna have a great podcast today. I'm gonna have a great podcast today. And maybe you have this like reverse engineer negative talk, like your fear of failure is the motivation. Like, hey, if I fa- like, ah, oh, man, I'm going to fail. And so I got to do all these things to not fail. Right. Like I would say that I, I don't know if I'd write this in the book. It's one of my favorite lines is spite is a hell of a drug. Success is much more sustainable. Like I used to do things out of spite. I used to do things because people told me I could it and I believe them. It's mm-hmm. like, well, that that didn't fucking work. Right. And so that 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 saying turned into a TEDx I did years ago called transform your pain into passion and define your purpose. I do talk about that in the book. And it's like, okay, so what are your pain points? If failure is your pain point, okay. So how do we transform that into a passion, leaning into pain or leaning into failure? And then your purpose. I'm gonna go out and fail every day. I'm gonna go out and take on things that I that I uh otherwise thought not possible. So if you you or it, when when you use this weird negative self-talk <laughs> for good, mm-hmm. right? Because that's what it is. It's like, I'm going to fuck this up. Oh, the Cubs are going to lose. Yeah. Right? Okay, well, that's a starting point, right? You talk about rock bottom. That's your rock bottom. Your rock bottom is that wounded child inside of you that says you suck, right? I, I get to this in the book. I'll, I'll, I'll tease the ending. I convinced myself for years that I was not good enough. I, I believed in, you know, I, I have the word Nimrod tattooed to my arm. And and in the in the, in the uh, Green Day album, um, Nimrod, right, the, the, the track Nice Guys Finish Last. I uh-huh. convinced myself for years that if if I'm a nice guy, right, I'm never going to get what I want out of this world. And that's why I had to be this hard-ass dick of a soldier because I had to be Billy Badass that goes overseas and gets some kills and, right, and, and, and makes a name for himself because – you know, all, all, all the badass guys get what they want in this world. It's like, well, no, that wasn't true. That was my wounded inner child feeling like I wasn't good enough coming out. The you fact is, I've, I've always been good enough, even in the army. I wasn't good enough for that level, that set of leadership at the time. But I'll tell you, now I have a really good career in the military because I found the I found the right audience and I learned to regulate my speech and my thoughts. And it's like, okay, looking back at it, Right? Had I never said that that later that leader was terrible at her job, I would have never got caught up in the mess I got caught up in. Mm-hmm. I'm the one that caused that. Right? Did I think that? Absolutely. Was it true that she sucked at her job? Yeah. Would she have got removed from her position at the end of the? Or day? was it your perspective that she sucked at her job? Or was that like well, in? Well, correct. Is that- okay, you're, you're right. In November, December, when I said it, and I and and I went through some shit. Yeah. Right. Th- th- that my perspective was right to me and nobody else saw it that way. Right. Uh, by the end of the deployment, 
the army saw that perspective with the she was investigation. She was investigation. She was removed from her position. Okay. Right. Like, so, right. And there's other, there's plenty of times where my perspective was one thing and ended up being drastically wrong. Now, the beautiful thing about that is often people don't know about that. Well, you, you know, know <laughs> nice guys finished last, by the way, which is the first track on Nimrod, as I recall. Yep. Uh, I wanted to take a little moment here and just share a, a couplet of some of my high school poetry. Brent, write this down. With your own blood, please. Uh, which is, I wrote this shortly after listening to that song, and the last line of the poem was, nice guys finish last, and I'm not moving too fast. Bam! I mean, that's fucking gold. Just kidding. It's not gold. But I <laughs> that that was my reaction to it, right? So you talked about how, oh, if nice guys finish last, I'm going to do the opposite. I'm going to be, I think you said, Billy Badass. I'm going to go over mm -hmm. and do all these, all these things. Um Earlier, you brought up the lizard brain, and uh, what's the doctor's name? I apologize, who you speak about in the book? Uh, Dr. Bill. Dr. Dr. Bill. Bill Crawford. And he, in the book, you talk, I want to get to reacting mm -hmm. versus responding, because let me tell you what I am a specialist uh, at is reacting. <laughs> I've gotten better at responding, but boy, I am, I am, uh, I am a fucking two-star kernel of reacting. I'll tell you that much. So tell me what, what you mean based on what you learned from Dr. Bill, yep. the difference between reacting and responding. Yeah. So, so here, here's, here's the basis. Things happen near us, right? Not to us, not for us, near us. And then we decide whether it's, you know, for us or uh, uh, to us. So things happen near us. And, and so the military and mass resiliency training, we call those activated events. And the way that uh, the army proposed it is you have this activated event, you have your thought, and then you have your reaction, and your reaction is consequences or your, your, in your emotions. And I, I didn't, I didn't love that model um, because I didn't love the word reaction. And and I, I agreed with the activated event, and then thought. and And the army does talk about how your thought is rooted in language, and and, and because we dream in language, we think in our native language, so therefore we can change the words within the thought and, and the language there uh, also there. So. I, and then I learned about Dr. Bill, and I, I I read his work, and I interviewed him. I had a few conversations with him, and I understood where he was coming from and what he was what his theory is. It's like okay, things happen near us. Our middle brain, our upper brain uh, vision takes it in, right? And our middle brain discerns whether okay, is this a threat or is this not a threat? Mm -hmm. And because we have negative comparison, and and humans have negative comparison, right? That's that that was the difference between caveman Bill and caveman Bob. Right, caveman Bill went over and touched the lava, fell in and died. Caveman Bob saw Bill and was like, "Hey, lava bad." So then Bob got to procreate, and all of Bob's descendants decided that lava was bad, and and God, you know, rest Bill's soul because he'll, he'll never come back and he won't procreate. So, so, so we have this negative comparison, and now we live in a society where we have all these perceived threats. There's not saber two tigers or lava or mammoths that are chasing us down. And so now we have all these things that our brain interprets as real threats. And so what we have the opportunity to do now is to slow down, take in the information, things that are happening near us. Is this a threat to us or is it not? If it's a threat and you need to do something, like if someone swerves at you in traffic and you got to get out of the fucking way, okay, let's, let's, let's turn. Um, Right. If there's an avalanche coming to you, 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 you ought to start running the, the other direction or up a mountain or whatever the math tells you when avalanches come come through town. Um, most things that happen near us 
are, are a threat to our, our, our right. life, right? Exactly. Life limber eyesight, if you will. And so now we have to look at them as, okay, these are opportunities. These are happening near us. So how do I want to respond to this new stimulus? And what ends up happening when you, you are conscious, you don't let the heat of the moment, you don't let the heat of the moment thought come out, right? Because the heat of the moment thought is the first reaction and, and learning to quell that for a hot second and take these stimulus, look at things holistically, have your top of your brain, your brain, your big brain process them. And now you're allowing the confident, creative brain ultimately make your decisions for you. Right. And, and, and I, and I listen to this in language with people. I remember uh, I used to work with homeless people all the time and a lot of homeless people would say, Oh, I got to do this. and I got to do that. Homeless people are like the busiest people I've, I've ever met. Right. Because in their brain, they convinced themselves there's all these things they had to do. And they were always in this fight, flight or freeze mode. So they're constantly reacting to the next stimulus and reacting and reacting. And they never can put together a whole day's worth of an agenda or a week or a month because they're constantly reacting to what's right in front of them because their brain is is really in fight or flight mode often. And so what happens is when when you slow down and when you look at all the, the things that are happening around you, then you can start choosing, okay, I'm going to make this decision, which will lead to potentially better choice or better opportunities down down later in life. And so when you have this opportunity and the luxury sometimes to take the time to make decisions, you are going to make a more clear, confident, creative decision versus the fight, fight, or freeze decision in the moment. Um, We all have tendencies, uh, fight, fight, or freeze. We all have a natural tendency. My tendency is flight. I walk away. I run away. I shut down from a situation. Mm -hmm. That that is is my natural tendency. And I know a lot of people that their natural tendency is to freeze or is to uh, is to freeze also, right? And they'll they'll be sitting there and it's like you're talking and they're not taking anything in. They're just so overwhelmed and they're not in their head and nothing. There is no there is no computation going on. And then and then other people, the, the fighters of the world, right? You know, quick, fast, and hurry that they're reacting uh, because you'll you'll see it right and they'll, you'll hear it and, and they'll come right at you. And so, how do you slow down? Stop yourself from having that heat of the moment thought, allowing the time to, to have your upper brain, your big brain, come up with a cr- you know creative, clear, and confident decision versus this this it, it heat of the moment reaction. And it has to be, it has to be remembered that mm-hmm. if you're somebody who reacts, you know, and you want to change to be become, uh, you know. Somebody who responds, um, you're not going to get it right every time. And nope. one of the problems I have is when I'm trying to make a change, if I don't get it right, then I just get, I just fucking pile on myself, you know, and say, you piece of shit and all this stuff, yep. you know, which helps no one, serves nothing because you're not giving yourself the grace that you need in order to make those changes. These changes can't happen overnight. Can't, uh, I, I don't believe they can happen overnight. I, I, I really don't because the brain is so. Brain's fucking intense, man. The brain is hardwired for survival. That that yep. it's the yep. brain's first function is to keep you alive, and it, your brain cannot discern between real threats and perceived threats. So what you can do is when you go into a situation where you there is known stimuli, right? So I play volleyball. I love playing volleyball. I play volleyball two three days a week. There are certain teams and certain people that do certain things that fucking set me off, and I'll I will fucking I will talk shit in the middle of the game. I'll flip people off in the middle of the game. My my fight, flight, or freeze, then my 
my fights, you know, especially when I'm, you know, playing volleyball, kicks off and I'm, let's fucking go. And and that's not always healthy. So I have to go into volleyball saying, okay, I know I'm playing this team. I know they're going to do certain things that irritate me. I can choose how I respond to this situation. And so, you know, knowing that now I'm pre-programming my brain to, hey, default setting, don't tell them they suck at life. Pre, pre, you know, default setting, step away for a minute and, and rally for the next point, right? Don't get pissed off when they open hand tip. Like in, in sand volleyball, when people open hand tip, it's a bitch move. I fucking can't stand it. You know what? <laughs> and my thing is fine. When, when, when. What's an open, open hand, hand tip? What does that mean? It's a, so in, in volleyball, when you play sand, I used to play doubles and there's very particular rules. When you play doubles, rules are particular. And you play fours and there's more lax rules. And then you play sixes and, and people do what the fuck they want. So an open hand tip or a directional tip is more whatever is when you you poke the ball with your fingertips. Okay. And when you're playing sand, sand is a slower game than court because sand is slow. And so when you tip, you either have to swing through it or use your knuckles or punch the ball, right? Not go up there and tip it open hand. And people will do that either they're court players or they're shit players. And when we play volleyball, this is bar league volleyball. You call your own shit. You're in the net. You call it. You. You know, you call balls in and out, and 99% of plays, there's no argument. And then you have some guys that'll go up there and fucking open hand tip, and it pisses me off because it's it's subjective to a certain extent. What is the difference between an open hand tip and a directional tip and a, and a closed hand tip? Now, me, I fucking swing hard every goddamn time, so I, I, will, I will not be accused of open hand tipping because when you're playing, you know, co-ed or even men's league volleyball, like fucking hit hard. That's a, that's a rule and principle I live by. We went way off track from the book. Anyhow, when I'm going into these volleyball, oh, we still games, use the word fucking. Oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> when when I go into these volleyball games where I know the other team is going to do things that irritate me, I, I can choose to react to them, or I can choose to preload a response, be like, "Yep, they suck." Right? I'm going to get the next one. Whatever I have to tell myself, so I don't tell them they fucking suck at life. Because at the end of the day, it's bar league volleyball on a Tuesday at a shit bar in Wisconsin. Like, no one's hanging their hat on this. So. Often what will end up happening is I will say something to them because I'm not an under the breath kind of person. And I'll be like, fuck you guys. Like this garbage, it's shit, whatever. And then after the game, I'll be like, yeah, kind of a dick on the court. Once we're off the court, I'm I'm not a terrible human being. I don't apologize, right? Or apologizing isn't in my repertoire. I acknowledge that I'm kind of a dick on the court after the fact, right? And that's how we respond. And most people, now that they know that about me, they're like, oh yeah, whatever. That's Andy. He's a dick on the court. Now, mm-hmm. doesn't make up for my behavior. It, it's it, me acknowledging it and me responding after the stimulus. And what ends up happening is I end up being less of a dick on the court because I've pre-programmed it. It happened, and then in retrospect, I acknowledge that that wasn't me at my best self. Gotcha. Okay, so I got two more questions for you. We yeah. teased it the whole fucking episode. What's your favorite four-letter word? work why is that your favorite four-letter word because it's because it's a choice we can make all day every day right now for example right i'm putting the work in with my book i put the work in to write the book and now i put in the work in by by talking to you we met right we had a we had an intro email we had an intro call i i listened to pinkerton this weekend hell yeah um, because it was part of our, our earlier conversation um and uh and, and so i put the work in because that's controllable and the challenge I have is a lot of people, the work has a, such a negative connotation. It's like, well, because what are you working towards? 
Right. Everything in this world is work. Relationships are work. Are you putting the work in on the front end or are you buying flowers in the back end because you fucked up? Right. With your with your job, if you hate what you do for work, let me tell you something. Uh, there's a job or a career or a position or a company you can start out there that will make you love your work. It's your choice to put the work in to find that position or place. It's this idea of victim language that people have. And that's really what the book is about. It's this victim, victim language. Victim versus, versus victor. victor. Oh, Absolutely. I just, we just said it at the same time. Go ahead. Are you a victim of your circumstance or are you a victor of your story or situation? I, I intertwine those words really. And it's a choice of being a victor. I'm putting the work in because the work is worthy. I love putting the work in. I love work because I'm working towards my goals, my dreams, my ambitions. I'm putting work in when I li- with the relationships that I want to put the work in with. When when people when when you, when you put the work in, you get the results or closer to the results that you desire. And work has this negative connotation, and and, and I, I think that's ridiculous. The, that old adage, well, if you if you if you love what you do, you'll never work a day in your life. No, you'll work really fucking hard. I I, I love telling people I'm unemployable. I'm unmanageable. I I've been unemployed for seven years. I ain't got no job. Let me tell you, it takes a lot of fucking work to not have a job. A job to me is an obligation. A job is a place I have to go. I have to wear their uniform. I have to say the things they want me to say which is completely different than work and where I work on my craft. I work on myself. I work on my relationships. It's all work. Yeah. And that's beautiful. I think I love the reframing of that. Uh, I really do. Um, and, you know, the, the the last thing, when, when we did meet before we, we came on here, after we talked about our shared love of Pinkerton and Bob Dylan, and Green yep. Day. By the way, on Pinkerton, when he says, I asked you to go to the Green Day concert, you said you never heard of them. How heard cool of them. is How that? How cool is that? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, you, yeah. One of the first things. I'll, that, I'll, I'll, I'll scorch you. I'll yeah. scorch you. Uh, that, you know what? Here's go the ahead. deal. Yeah. <laughs> my favorite Weezer line is in that. Tell me. My When he goes, uh, uh, God, I can't. What was, I, uh, and I ain't faking. Wait, I can't even look at you without shaking. I ain't faking. Bring home the turkey and, and you, you bring, bring home, home the, the bacon. bacon. Yeah. Boom. The favorite line of, of Weezer, right? I can't even look in your eyes without shaking. Yeah. And I ain't faking. I'll you, bring home the turkey if you bring home the bacon. I'm I am. A lot, yeah. That that is my favorite Weezer line uh, because it, 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 it it's it, it's one of those lines where it's like it, it's maybe some other people it's like a throwaway line, but it's like what a what a slap of a stupid line. I'll bring home the trick if you bring home the bacon. Like let's fucking go. Well, I, I well, the know. first half of it too is showing vulnerability and saying vulnerability, I, right? And yeah. I ain't fake. Yeah, right. I, yeah, I, I'm I, shaking. Yeah. I'm not making yeah. this up. I'm being my real self around you. Absolutely. Like, but and then it's like and look at the possibilities. And the other thing I found out about Weezer when I was, when I was listening to it, he uses the word but often. Because he's you're right, he's showing his vulnerabilities, but then it's like, but look, look the possibilities, right? And it goes with the weird, nerdy, self defeating uh, uh, self that he has, and it's like, but then and and he ends with this opportunity, right? And then he talks about that song is all about, um, I, I think you'd be good for me, and I'd be good for you, right? And it's like, what, what, what do you say? Stay, you know. Yeah, and I hope everybody stays tuned uh, for Kevin and Andy's podcast, Running Rivers, in which we speak about all the lyrics of Weezer. Um, okay, the last thing I wanted to say yeah. <laughs> is because this is a really good. Uh, I have a voice in my head, not yeah, like yeah. I, not like a Sybil voice. The self defeating talk, as we talked about. Oh yeah, and uh, something I'm gonna. 
paraphrase you, but defeated language leading leads to anxiety and depression because you have no control. Now, I specialize in defeating language in my brain. It is constant. It is all-consuming. I, I have been through 32 years of therapy. I've, I'm a lot better. I can recognize it. As you said, yep. self-awareness, all that good stuff, right? What do you say to somebody who just hasn't had the time not the time, sorry, uh, who hasn't even made the initiative to say, okay, this defeated language is leading to my anxiety and depression. Like, is is it going back to what you said early in the episode about you need to be, one, aware of the language in your head? Yeah. Because yeah. my thing is, what's so fucked up is my defeatist language is, I sometimes think, has something to do with me trying to control the situation I can't control. Yeah, you're, you're putting energy in the wrong place. And you're giving credence. You're giving credence to to shit that has no place being credence, right? You're 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 letting those thoughts live rent free in your brain. So, uh, right, self awareness is one thing, but let's jump. Or self awareness is one thing, right? So, right, right. So, yay, self awareness. We're there now. Let's jump to self regulation. So, you have the book in front of you. Yep. I don't. I, I'm looking around for a copy of the book in my office. Of course, I. I uh, it's not nearby. And, okay, go to uh, I don't know what fucking chapter it is. It is the uh, uh, it's one of the battle one of the exercises at the end of the chapter. Okay, it is it's probably chapter. Uh, I don't, here, hold on. You know do what, you want me to read what, the? What, what? No, no, no. Okay. What I'm going to do is I'm going to pull up Daniel. See, this is like in my head. I'm like I was about to say like, oh, I don't have it nearby. I have this. Da, 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 da. The fuck? I have the goddamn book on a PDF, searchable. Yeah, on did my you? Desktop. Yeah, you got a Control F. I, I yeah, I, dude. Let me tell you something about Control F. Okay, I'm, fucking, oh, I'm ready. I I fucking I. I got through several, several, if not every military school I've ever been in with uh, Control F. That's it. Stay Control tuned for F. Andy's next book. Control F fucking matters. Yeah. Control F fucking matters. All right. So I typed in uh, so that. Here we go. This is the difference. So go to page on or about uh, page 127. 127. You'll go into... Uh, 127 and then goes into 128. Uh, is this the one that has the anxiety, arousal, flow, control, relaxation, boredom? That's what I have for my one. Here's my 127. For those oh, of you who are listening, obviously, I'm right. just showing him on the camera. Yeah, there you go. Go to the end of chapter. Let's do it. Go to the end of chapter 12. I know it was towards Ah, that. yes. Okay. Here we go. So yeah, this, is, this is what we're going to do. We're going to reframe your victim statement. Mm -hmm. So so the, the page I, so right before that end of it, so uh, the, the what you want to look for is shredding limited shredding shedding shedding geez shedding limiting beliefs. So go about two or three pages before the end. Shedding of that limiting beliefs. Yeah. Yep. Mm -hmm. Got it. I'm here. Okay. So here we go. So acknowledge the belief. You you said that you you started that off right off the bat, right? So let's let's in your sentence you don't done this. Acknowledge the limiting belief. You said you got a a. a uh, a part in your brain is a real motherfucker. Yeah. Right. He, he, that person, that avatar of you is defeating and, and limiting. Right. Okay. So we've acknowledged that. Now, second thing you questioned it, right? Is this belief serving you? You already said it didn't. So you already right. did that. Mm -hmm. Third thing, challenge it. Now contradict the belief. You did that. You said, I have 32 years of therapy, right? That says that that thing is not serving me. Right. So now, now, fourth thing is change it. So this is where you're at now. So your victim statement was, say it again. What was your victim statement? I have a voice in my head that is always telling me that I'm bullshit and is 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 constant. I love it. Because the other word you use without me even asking you is a, another bullshit word, always and never. When you use the words always and never, 
you are limiting other possibilities, right? Because I guarantee you, you would not have a podcast if this voice always won out. It's true. This voice do, does not always win out. It might win more than off, more more often than not. Not always, because if it was not always, you would be in the fetal position in the corner of your room. So here we go. Okay, so this statement you made, say it again, victim, victim uh, statement. My victim statement is something along the lines of, I have a voice in my head that tells me uh, everything I do is shit and it's constant. Okay. It's always now going. We're gonna, yeah. There we go. So now we're going to change this to your victor statement. Ready. What we're going to do is we're going to acknowledge, we, we need to acknowledge the previous belief. So now acknowledge that factually speaking. Get rid of the word always because we've already proved that to be in, in, incorrect. So now mm -hmm. let me acknowledge your previous belief. I acknowledge that I have a voice in my head that is uh, negative self-talk. Okay. So now we're going to insert that. There's limitedly, right? I used to, so I want you to say it. I used to, and then give me your, give me that same limiting self-belief. Uh, so I used it. to have a mm -hmm. voice in my head that is uh, negative self-talk. And now and fill now. in the blank. And, and now, now truthful adjustment. I'm, and now I'm going to uh and now I am not going to give it the credence that it uh that I've given it up until this point. Or okay. I'm going to change the way that I look at it. There we go, right? Credence change, right? Because what you're doing is you're you're not feeding it, right? And now I no longer give it credence so that what is the result you want? So that I can continue to be confident in my own abilities and move forward in life. Got it. Do you still have that limiting self-belief in your life? Of course. There you go. And you have the tools now to get the confidence, right? Because you're not going to give it credence. I'm not dismissing it. I'm not like, oh, oh, come on, Kevin. You don't have that. Look at all these things you did. Oh, fuck that. You're, that's just, no. Yes, you have a limiting self-belief. And now you've found a way to regulate it so that you get the result of the confident person that you know you are inside of you because you have the two wolves. At the beginning of this chapter, chapter 12, the, it says, show up naked. What you did right Don't now- Don't take that literally, naked. Brent. Uh, okay. That's fine. Whatever. Yeah. <laughs> right? You showed up naked. You, you, you told everybody on this podcast that you have a limiting self-belief. Yeah. And you are no longer going to feed that limiting self-belief. So that you can be the confident person. That self-belief is will remain with you the rest of your life. I mean, I think that right there. Hold on, Brent, get my therapist on the phone. Tell her uh, I'm done talking to her. No, I'm just kidding. Um, Andy, I think I want to end on, no, no, I'm going to give you the floor before we end, but I want to end on that point because I think that does, I know it's near the end of the book, obviously. That is a really good summation it is obviously not the whole book, right? Uh, there are great drawings of poop in the book. Uh, there's a drawing of a hockey stick. There, there. Are, did you do all the drawings? <laughs> no. Oh, okay. No, this woman named Jen out in uh, Michigan. Awesome, Jen. Uh, I, I like the drawings. Uh, tell Jen that the drawings are awesome. Um, right. I, 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 I really appreciate you coming on. I really appreciate you taking the time. Um, as I said, the the link to the book to buy the book will be in our uh, the show notes. You know, as we close, is there anything else that you just kind of want to share? Maybe that we didn't say you want to reiterate anything like that? No, I, uh, one alibi, Jennifer Cooper. That's the name of the woman. I, I, I checked my my Google machine. Real OK, quick. My, my Gmail, Jennifer Cooper. Want to give credence uh, to the right people. No, you know, what we said on the podcast was what was needed to be said and what we did say. There, there's the, the opportunity now is that people find systems within themselves and processes 
to enable them to live the lives they want to live. And yeah. the book I wrote, ultimately, I realized in, in retrospect, uh, I wrote the book for myself. I wrote the book for me to understand better how do I show up every day. I wrote the book as a constant reminder. Since I've released the book, there are times within my day that I say things that are inconsistent with my book, that I have negative self-thought or negative or limiting self-belief. Uh, and I reference back to my book. I I struggled understanding the world and the people around me. And I wrote a book to better uh, write down the rules that I've lived by that proved to be true. And I gave them the rest of the world to use. I, I wrote this book for me more than anybody to better understand the world around me. My mom, all, almost all my life, I've, I've said, you know, why, why are people so difficult? Well, because they're fallible. They're not processes. They're not systems. They're not an Excel spreadsheet where everything ties out at the end. And so I, I failed, you know, four years of high school, I failed four English classes. And and it's because I convinced myself that I wasn't a writer. I convinced myself that my ideas weren't valid. And and once I reframed my language, I started changing that. And so I ultimately wrote this book selfishly for me to better understand the world around me. And so that's where I want to leave you with that. This idea that I got it all fucking figured out is absolutely untrue. And this idea that I'm an expert writer, no. Or that I'm an expert person that understands people, and I always did. No, I I continue to this day to struggle understanding people. What or and 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 there's eight billion of us on this planet, and if I want to live a fulfilling life, um, or when I want to live a fulfilling life, I, I'm going to interact with them. And so, uh, I find it interesting that even in me, and I didn't realize this until after the book was done. I took a pain point, my difficulty understanding people, and I turned it into a passion which is language because 93% of communication is nonverbal. I understand the 7% that's verbal, and I've said it for years. And so instead of sitting on top mountaintop and yelling and screaming, my purpose has been to acknowledge that I need support understanding people, and there's other people out there like me that need more support understanding people. And it's through language that I understand that I can share that talent with the world. And so for everybody out there, right, this is the Sad Times podcast. There are difficult times. There are sad times. Facebook and LinkedIn, we all know that these places are a highlight reel of the best times of your life. The reality is that most of life is a struggle. It is difficult. And when you put the work in, you can live the life that you want. That's a great way to end. So we're going to end right there. Andy, thank you so much, man. This is a really stimulating, really good conversation. Um, and uh, I really appreciate your time today. And like I said, the book is called Words Fucking Matter. Retrain your brain to use language that serves you. Uh, and I'll end the same way that um, I always try to end these episodes, which is just a reminder that there's always room for kindness and grace, especially when dealing with yourself. Uh, I forget that every day and I try to remember it. And uh, we'll see you next time on sad times. You've been listening to a fourth hand joint.